0: about the seven mountains of influence that can change our nation, we've talked about arts and entertainment, talked about family, today we're talking about the difference that the church can make. Bill Hybels said this in his book, Courageous Leadership, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable, its power is breathtaking, its potential is unlimited, it comforts the grieving. And heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp, he says. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. I believe that because the Spirit of God is what motivates and moves the church. Jesus Christ in us compels us to have compassion and love for our world and to reach out. Today we're going to talk about the kind of influence that he would really like his church to have. Let's pray. Father, Lord, there's an ideal that you have for your bride, the church, the body of Christ. You want us, Lord, to have an impact in this world. You've called us to go, to speak, to love, to reach. And I pray by your spirit today that you'd build us up and strengthen us for the purposes of of Doing your will in this world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have four things this morning that I want to share with you that will help us win this world to Jesus Christ. And the first is this the church. If we're going to get it done, we must speak the truth in love. There's an intimidating voice out there, our enemy, uh, uh, the enemy, our accuser, the devil who would try to stop us from speaking the name of Jesus and make us think all religions are equal. Well, we believe the Bible. And the Bible says that Jesus is the way. Romans 1.16 says it this way, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is God's powerful method of bringing all who believe to heaven. The message was preached first to the Jews alone, but now everyone is invited to come to God in this way. So there it is. We're not ashamed that Jesus is the way. But then it's even more plain in Acts 4.11. Talking of Jesus, it says, He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So we have a lot of pressure from the media and from people in this world who'd say, you're arrogant to believe that. But if there is a God, a supreme being, wouldn't he be able to do it the way he wanted to do it and not the way everybody else wanted it? I mean, really, if everybody can decide, then that makes them God, doesn't it? Right? I make him up in my head and he's what I say he is. Well, you're not God and neither am I. So the creator of the universe put down his will for us in a love letter called the Bible. And we must share this message and not back off of it. We don't have to have an attitude. We don't have to be mean-spirited. We can be loving. Jesus never demanded that everybody stop saying what they believed. But he always spoke up in love to to share the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. He wasn't afraid to do that. There was an encounter with an issue of religious pluralism. That's where, you know, many roads to God is what that is. It occurred a few years ago uh, in an article in the Los Angeles Times. It was January 20th, 2008. And the article was titled, uh, Service Celebrates Two Beliefs. And it was subtitled this way, Episcopalians hold an Indian rite mass with Hindus and apologize for past religious discrimination. And during the service, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Los Angeles issued a statement of apology to the Hindu religious community for centuries-old acts of religious discrimination by Christians, including attempts to convert them. And the Bishop also said he was committed to renouncing the proselytization of Hindus. Well, there's a guy named Dale Bruner who taught Sunday school at a... um, Church there in Los Angeles but he happened to be a scholar and he saw that and it really bothered him so he wrote this follow-up letter to the Los Angeles Times and I think it really capsulizes what I'm saying today and I want you to look on the screen and and watch as I read it to you here's what Dale Bruner who wrote a commentary on the book of John wrote to the LA Times dear editors The Saturday notice of the Episcopal Diocese of Los Angeles, celebration with Hindus of the fact that both faiths, Christianity and Hinduism, revere great figures who embody the divine light, who teach the divine truth, does us the service of showing us why much mainline Protestant Christianity is dying. The earliest church refused to join Jesus with the Roman pantheon of great figures who embody divine light And as a result, she was mowed down in the colosseums of the Mediterranean world for what was felt to be her her arrogant intolerance. But the blood of martyrs was the seed of the church. And in 300 years, the Roman Empire was converted. When the churches had the guts to hold to the one God of Israel and to this one God's one self-revelation, the Messiah, Jesus, and when she speaks and acts as graciously and as courageously as her Lord and his prophets in mission she deeply helps not only the still cast bound hinduism but everyone else she reaches look at the major hospitals all over the world the leprosaria the schools for women and the muslim hindu and buddhist worlds and the passion for social justice that jesus elicits wherever he has faithfully heard and followed. Think of his influence on the Hindu Gandhi and the ministries of Martin Luther King in our country and of Cardinal Romero in Latin America. The bishop of our diocese does not need to apologize for attempts to convert people of other religions. He needs to apologize for the loss of faith and courage to seek such conversions. Let thousands of faiths and I love I love this. Let thousands of faiths, religious and secular, s- secular, speak their deep convictions in the public square. And each with its legitimate passion to convert, let us respectfully listen to each other what each has to say and s- let us see who prevails. The truth can handle itself. Dale Bruner and he signed it this scholar as an adult Sunday school teacher. <clears throat> We can't back off on that. There's courage and boldness that is needed to say, oh, he's changed my life. He's real. It's true. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us about another thing we can't let go of, and it's the Bible. I mean, if we're gonna speak the truth in love, not with an attitude, but in love, then we gotta know where the truth comes from and that God has given us his word. It says this, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true. What's true? It comes from the Bible, not from my head and your head. It's true and it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. There are two types of teachers. This is a thought I had this week. I just want you to be aware as you move forward. You're going to hear a lot of teachers who will try to water down the truth of the word of God. And I had this thought, two types of teachers when it comes to the Bible, those who preach to get people to believe the Bible and those who preach to water it down and make you believe it less. Know which type you are listening to. Know who's standing in front of you and what their purpose is. Discern and stick to the truth of the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ is the way. The truth and love must be spoken Or we will not reach this generation. We will not be a church that makes a difference because we won't be putting the difference in front of them. The difference is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Second thought, if we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to show God's love in action. Matthew 5, 16. I I think we've decided that um, the gospel... Is, is a message. But it's, the gospel's more than a message. The gospel, is, the gospel is the message in action. It's not just words. It's deed. It's combined. It's together. It's moving in truth and in love. And it says in this scripture, in the same way, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they see, they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. We're going to, have to do this if we're going to make a difference in this world. We're we're not only those who speak truth, but we love people around us. That's what Jesus did. He loved everyone around him. And the church today has to be careful. There are times that we don't like the values that are being espoused, for instance, in the public education system. And if we're not careful, our continual focus, our only focus towards uh, that institution and the people in our community we will be telling them how wrong they are. Well, I'm going to tell you, if we're going to build a relationship and reach people, we don't want to be in a, in a relationship where all we do is tell people how wrong they are. See how that goes with your spouse. See how that goes with your children. See how that goes with your friends. We can love people even when they haven't come to the truth. We can care about them just as Jesus did when he sat at the well with that woman, the Samaritan. He was caring for people around him. And we can hold to truth, we can speak truth, but if that's all we do, we're going to have trouble. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. With, with your kids, with the people you're in authority over in relationship, you have rules without relationship, it's, it's just not going to go well. It's not going to be a good conversation. They need to see and feel the love of God from the church. Our high school... I'm so proud of them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they reached out to one of our public elementary schools here in town. I don't know if you know, but there are about 5,000 5, Hispanic families in Tualatin alone. And this school is about 50% Hispanic, and there are a lot of uh, poor and underprivileged children that are, that are in the school here in Tualatin. That kind of surprises people because the median income and some of the houses you see around here, but it's... it's, it's uh, it's, it's quite a contrast between uh, a couple of the communities in the apartment dwelling uh, areas and also uh, in, the, in the housing developments. But I want you to see what our school did at Tualatin, our high school, Christian high school here, did at Tualatin Elementary School two weeks ago on a Friday. Watch this video. <laughs> change your heart Do I live like your love is true that awesome so what do you think the public school's response was when 140 students showed up and thousands of dollars were spent and we just went and loved on them so proud of that school their response was to ask us if we would adopt them and do more with them and take care of their backpack program where kids are fed during the week we fill backpacks and on the weekend they take it home and they don't have food they're asking us if we would be involved more what do you think our response is going to be as we move forward? Well, we didn't speak the name of Jesus on that campus because it would have freaked them out. But we went and showed them the love of Jesus. And they're saying, we love these kids. We love the school. We love these Christians. These are different kind of Christians than the ones we've heard about. They're loving with action. I like what it says about Jesus in Luke 4, 22. It says, everyone spoke well of him. Speak, that's Jesus, and was ama- they, they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus had a gracious spirit and gracious words that he would speak to people all around him. He didn't have this tough uh, demeanor that said bow or burn. He loved the person in front of him in an amazing way. And it's time for the church across America to do more than invite people into the walls of the aquarium. It's time for us to go beyond the walls and love and give and serve where our communities can see the love, not just hear about it. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I'd like for Ricky to come up, Ricky Russ, if you would right now. There's another ministry that's rising up among us. And uh, I want to interview Ricky about it. It's just a cool thing. Ricky, you can grab that seat right there, buddy. So Ricky, you quit your regular job uh, to do this brand new ministry that you're starting. And You need a microphone, don't you? Tell, tell, us, tell us about letting go of your previous job.
1: Yeah, it was back in um, October last year. I um, felt that I was supposed to walk away and um, <clears throat> it didn't feel right, but at the same time it did. So um, I went to quit to my boss, and he said, um, "If you could write your own job description, would you stay?" And so I, I stayed. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it didn't um, it didn't feel right, and so um, I quit again on December first to walk out and do something I hadn't um, that hadn't been revealed to me yet.
0: But you felt like the Lord was leading you in that whole process, huh? It was kind of strange for you, kind of Abraham go, but not knowing exactly where, huh? Right. Yeah well, So he's starting this thing called thank you list And this is what Pastor Doug's going to be involved with as well We mentioned that to you a couple weeks ago Uh, What is thank you list?
1: Uh, We actually have a short video It's only a minute long That uh, describes it So we can go from there Meet Nathan Need Holly Have And Charlie Church Both Nathan and Holly Attend Charlie's Church Nathan is going back to school and needs a computer. Ollie has an extra computer, but doesn't know of Nathan's need. So Nathan calls Charlie to ask if he knows anyone with an extra computer. Charlie scratches his head and reluctantly says, no. Sadly, most of the time, the story ends here, but now it doesn't have to. Thank you list solves the dilemma. Thank You List is a free, secure website for just Charlie's Church, where Holly can now list items and services to help Nathan. Visit thankyoulist.org to learn more.
0: So so they've got this thing rolling in a number of churches, and the beta rollout. As a matter of fact, we're rolling it out next week, uh, but but it 's it's, it's to help lots of people. How, how are there other ways that it helps? Thank you, List. Um, <clears throat> we
1: have items at our house in in the garage, and it always kind of bugged me to to, um, to think there's some there 's probably someone in the church who needs that item or you know be a futon whatever it may be um, and, and instead of for me to blindly just take it to um, say goodwill or something i thought wouldn 't it be neat if we had a way in the church to be able to find out if somebody needs that. And so um, it was just a, this kind of provides that solution.
0: Yeah, so, so if, if there's a single mother who can't afford a crib, she can go on and find one potentially there. And uh, something she can't afford would just be given to her. Uh, Why did you start Thank You List? Was that it, just that, that heart to help people who were having a difficult time and couldn't uh, buy things for themselves?
1: Yeah, initially I... Uh, the, the idea was given to me when I was sitting in church one time. I thought, well, um, since I'm unemployed now, um, I'll just build it for the church and give it to them. Um, and so we, I was going to give it to Horizon as a tool while looking for, for work. But the more people I shared it with and the uh, more churches, even outside the church, like a teen challenge or whatever it may be, um, everybody started to see um, what it could do. And that was the point where... Uh, where we saw it was something big, and, and all the different solutions and um, options people have told us about on, on how they would use it to uh, meet the need for people.
0: Well, and how many churches and how many people are represented in those churches that are already on board just in these initial phases?
1: Right, so we have 12 um, people who are ready to go right now, and we have two other people who want to push us national. Those are um, churches, huh? Yeah, churches. Yeah, and so because um, we know one guy up in Seattle who has a database of. You know, 200 churches ready to go. And so he could push a button and we could be in 200 churches um, in no time,
0: which is scary. So so, so I love this. I mean, here's a guy who rises from among us to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? He's a, he's a tech genius. And the Lord gives him an idea. And it's, it's about helping poor people. But you know what I love about it is we're not just helping people in our church. If there's someone in the community who has a need and they call... We'll have a resource to give because of things that you're displaying on that list that will really bless the people of this community, not just the people of, this, of, of the church. And I think this is one of the ways that we can show compassion as the people of God and make sure that needs are met. Trust me, America started to lose influence when the government started to provide everything for those who were poor. The church is the one instructed in the Bible to be givers and helpers to these who are in need. And I, I love what Ricky and what Doug are doing. I want you to stretch this hand, your hand this way, and I'm going to pray for this brother in this ministry. Father, thank you for Ricky and Doug, and thank you for this ministry you've called them to. Thank you, Lord, that thousands of people already represented that are going to be in the system. And Lord, I think of Craigslist, and then I think of thank you list, and I know what you could do. You could do amazing things across our nation with this. And God, I believe it's intended for your purposes to, to build up the church, to love the poor, to reach out with compassion. And so we ask your blessing upon it. We pray you give Ricky wisdom, give Doug wisdom and give them favor, Lord, with this ministry that has a heart that is your heart. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Ricky a hand and uh, thank you for being with us this morning. So... These are just some practical ways that we can really uh, see change in our nation and make a difference. I think of that scripture in Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. That's a compassionate ministry. That's a ministry that thinks of those that are in need that can't help themselves. And it's the kind of thing God likes. It goes on to say, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So if we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to be people and churches that are love and action. The third thing, if we're going to make a difference in this world, that I want to put before you today, is we have to be relevant. First Chronicles 12, 32 says this, that the men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. One of the things that I think can be a major problem for the church in America is we're living a culture of two decades ago when people walked through the doors. And we're making people who want to find Jesus accept something that they don't necessarily have to accept. You don't have to take the music of yesterday to accept Jesus today. You don't have to dress like people did in the 80s to come to Jesus today. But we culturally have made them feel that they, they have to fit in with us if they're going to do this Jesus thing. And that is a major mistake. If we make them join a group of people and follow a culture of 10 or 20 years ago, they won't come as frequently to church. They won't come as frequently to Jesus Christ. Partly because that's not in the Bible and that doesn't draw. That repulses and drives people away instead of brings them closer. This is why churches get old and die and what I mean by that is they start young they grow up together they forget to bring the youth in and involve all the cultures and be concerned about another generation they don't do multi-generational church they just do their generation and they go from a church of 500 to 300 and then they die off together and go to each other's funerals and it's over and they shut the doors on the place that's a that's a story of a lot of churches in america And it it may play out like this. They don't dress right, someone might say. They don't talk right. I don't think those tattoos are right. They have a piercing in their ear, in their nose, in their lip. Their music is just too much. It's not right. That's not godly music. And I just want to say to people who are saying that, stop it. That is so dumb. Stop None of those things stop people from coming to Jesus. They can do them after they come to Jesus. But we like our culture. We like the way we are. So we say, you must be like us. No, it's not about being like us. It's about being like Jesus, isn't it? What are we doing? We're killing the effect of the church and the enemy is subtly deceiving us to drive a generation away because we're irrelevant. We hear one of them play the guitar and we don't like the style, but it could have been unbelievably awesome skill. And we say to them, well, I guess that's good for you, but it's not good for me. Here's the problem with that. You're off message. You're interjecting your personal uh, preferences, which, you know, that's okay to have a personal preference. I'm not saying you can't but I am saying we must be careful. The church must be careful because we're off message. That's not the message. Change your clothes. Stop the piercing. Don't get the tattoo. That's not the message. The message is Jesus Christ is love. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He'll meet you where you're at. Galatians 5, 6 says it well. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Emphasizing those things, it's it's just the wrong emphasis. Now, if we want to create a church that has a protectionist mentality, that wants to take care of only its own, that doesn't really care about other generations, then this stuff will work just fine for us to get together with our four and no more and play pinochle till Jesus comes, right? But if we want to be a church that makes a difference, if we want to be a church that reaches out to young people and old alike, then we will be concerned about being relevant in our culture. What's a missionary do when they go to Africa? They study the culture. They look at what the people are doing and what they're like, and then they try to find the very best way not to compromise the gospel, but to take the gospel into that culture so that people can hear it and believe it. And in, the, and in America, we don't even do that these days. We don't care about those subcultures out there. We, we have our culture. Come join our culture. Stop. Stop. Don't have to join our culture to join Jesus. Acts 13:36 says this about David when he served God's purpose in his own generation. Man, I want to serve my purpose in this generation. I don't want to serve a generation past. I want to serve in this generation. I want to reach young people in this world. I want us to be a church that has both young and old that is vibrant multi-generational and if we're going to be a relevant church that means that we will reach to the culture we're in not the culture of yesterday that's one of the reasons our communication style is relational in this church not a romper, stomper, spewer I, I, I don't do that I try to be who I am and just have my own personality and be real but I'd really like to speak the gospel in such a way that someone would get it and apply it to their life, these truths. I remember my son Aaron, when he was just a little guy, about four years old, walked by the television and there was a preacher on there just screaming out the message. I was watching one of those preacher shows on TV. And Aaron's walking by and he looks at this guy and the guy's going, ah, what the, ah, ah, you know, and, Aaron stops and he looks at him. A little four-year-old says, Dad, what's he so mad about? I said, oh, Aaron, he, he's not mad. He just, he thinks he's anointed. And He goes, looks mad to me. And he just walked away. <laughs> well, I think it's something to think about. It might look mad to a lot of people who don't know what's going on there. And so we're, we're purposeful in trying to reach a generation in a way that they normally communicate. Our music has a bit of a current edge to it. No one on the stage last week, I noticed, it's the first time I've seen it in a long time, no one was older than 25 years old. How do I feel about that? I like it. I like it. Because I think anytime you see young people who love Jesus and are sincere and passionate worshiping the Lord, you know what? You know who's going to come to see them worshiping? Other young people. See, it's not all about young people. You know most people get saved in their youth, right? Like 90%. So I'm concerned that people would come to Jesus. I'm concerned about you and your style as well. We have everybody in mind. But you know, Pastor Ken is leaving, right? We know that. And don't miss June 2nd, because that's that's the the special day that we're going to celebrate him being with us here for 19 years and take a love offering for him. So don't miss that. Mark that down. But here's the deal. We're going younger when he leaves. And we're doing it on purpose. Because we're not going to be one of those old churches that closes the door in 15 years or 20. We're going to reach to some younger people. We'll keep you in mind, but I'm asking you to go with me, church, because we're purposeful to reach our generation. We want them to come to Jesus Christ. Kenny's that unusual person that can reach every generation with his music. And he's been awesome for 19 years. But Kenny's going. He's Moses and Joshua's coming. You know, so let's get ready. He's not (laughs) dead. He's not dead, but... (laughs) Sorry, bro. (laughs) But there is a Joshua coming. We'll just put it that way. Here's the deal. You say, what's this all about? I like this statement. The methods are many. The principles are few. The methods can change, but the principles never do. Trust me, we'll stay on the principles. You heard them right at the start of this message, right? Jesus and the word. But we want to reach people. My friend, Dave, pastors a church, and uh, he's a great pastor. I just love him. I I almost wish he was my pastor. He's so good. And uh, he went younger with a church that he first went to that had a, a bunch of older and very godly people. And um, he started putting some youth on the stage, and he started kind of remodeling and speaking a little younger from from the pulpit, and um, that seniors group of probably 70 or 80 started to get a little bit uncomfortable. So they called a special meeting to meet with pastor. They called pastor in, young Pastor Dave, 60, 80 senior citizens. And they started the meeting by saying, you know, we don't really like what's um, going on. It's so different. And we're not used to that. And uh, we, we, we want you to consider changing it back to the way that it was. And before all that got moving, um, Dave had a word of prayer. And uh, he asked this question to those senior citizens that were there that night. That's a tough meeting to be called into if you're a pastor, by the way. He said, how many of you here have um, unsaved children? Raise your hand. About half of them. Then he said, how many of you have uh, unsaved grandkids? The other half. Nearly everyone raised their hands. And he said, I want you guys to know that I dearly love you all and that you're super important to me and I know you're godly people. But I'm asking you if you'll let us at this church do church in such a way that we could reach your grandkids and your children so that they might be saved. The head senior citizen who had called the meeting and was in charge stood up and he started to cry. And he said, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I have grandkids, and he said it through his tears. He just spoke through them. I have grandkids who don't know Jesus. I have kids who don't know Jesus. Forgive me, pastor. I want them to be reached. Now, I'm asking you today, will you go with me? Will you go with me to reach our generation, to reach your kids, your grandkids, so that we represent every age in here, so that kids who don't have a mom and a dad and don't know what health is can find come into a place where it looks familiar and they feel comfortable and they're loved on and they come to Jesus we have to be relevant if we're going to go where God wants to take us the fourth thought today if we're going to be a church that makes a difference we must understand that the power of God's Holy Spirit is vital it's not just a bunch of good creative marketing that's going to do this the Holy Spirit is vital. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power. Power. Power beyond your own ability. Power beyond your gifts. Power beyond your creativity. You'll receive real power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's some of the ways that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power is displayed. A changed life. I mean, the greatest tribute, the thing that shows that it's a fact that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life more than anything else is a changed life. I mean, he takes the drug addict and redeems them. And they're completely different in a moment. Did you know Teen Challenge, for instance, um, that has drug rehab programs. Did you know that uh, the world's rate for their drug rehab, alcohol rehab in the clinics that they have that are non-Christian is about 30%? Maybe a little better if they're the best. You know, they might have 50%. Did you know that Teen Challenge has a 90% recovery rate? Why do you think that is? Well, they're nice people, that's for sure. They have a lot of love going on there. Probably get that from the world too. Nice people with a lot of love in those clinics. But they have Jesus, they have the word, and they have the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I saw my dad, when I was eight years old, get saved. I saw him before and the way he was, and I saw the radical difference immediately after. I saw that he spent more time with me, that he cared for me, that he turned his heart towards God. There's no way in the world you could convince me that Jesus isn't the way, because I've seen him transform too many lives. The power of the Holy Spirit brings that conversion. Another way we see power displayed, and the way God wants it displayed, is in Acts 4.31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. where's the boldness in this generation? We're we're afraid. We're on our heels. Can't do a lot on your heels. You get knocked over easily. But we're not ashamed of this Jesus. We love him. We shout it from the mountaintops, from the rooftops. And we're bold when the Holy Spirit shows up. We're not as bold as we need to be in this generation. So to me, it's a sign that we're not filled with the Spirit enough because the boldness comes when that happens. And look in Acts 6.8. <clears throat> we see real power displayed through miracles and healing. I'm telling you, we need these things today. They didn't go away. God still does miracles. In Acts 6.8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So when someone's filled with the spirit, even the miracles of God show up. It's not like in the old days in the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, where just a few could have the power of God flow through them for the miraculous. Now, every believer who prays by faith has the possibility of, seeing, of God doing an, an incredible miracle in someone's life. It's not me, it's not you that can make a miracle happen. But it's a simple trust in faith that he's so loving and so powerful that there are times he will choose to move and bring his healing. I'm going to tell you a story that sounds unbelievable, but it's absolutely true. My wife was there with me. You can check with her, and you can check with Mark Batterson, my friend. We were in Washington, D.C. several years ago. We we're taking a tour through the Capitol building. You know, I went there to see Dick Foth in that mentoring group once a year, and um, it was a great time. But this year, I had Karen with me. I didn't always, and I, I said, let's, let's go tour the Capitol building. We'd never done that. So we went into the Rotunda. They're in the Capitol building. They have all the statues of the famous people from the regions and and states in that rotunda, right? And uh, there were tour guides, two or three, talking to people, and we were standing there looking at a statue, and a tour guide came over to us. He was probably in his early 50s, is my guess. Seemed very nice. He talked to us for a little bit. And... um, as we were talking, somehow, I don't remember it as a few years ago, I don't know how we got into it, but somehow, I said, "You seem like such a nice person. Tell me, tell me about your life." Well, he, he started to speak about a lot of trouble he was having, And the spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, "I want you to tell him about me." Now I'm just like you. I'd rather not tell a tour guide in a Capitol building in front of everybody about Jesus. I'm just a little uncomfortable. But you know, I was standing there and I kept feeling it and kept feeling it and felt that the Spirit was compelling me. Here's, here's the story he told me. He had had a terrible car accident. He had a cerebral hemorrhage and he lost the ability to walk for a while. During that time, he lost the love of his life so he was alone now even though he was able to walk again sometime later. He had just found out that he had a serious case of hepatitis B, which can be life-threatening if you don't find it soon enough, and they found it late. And he was depressed. And I said, Joseph, I gotta tell you something. I really believe that the Lord brought me all the way from Oregon to you here today in this room to tell you that he loves you, that he knows you, that he wants to help you. He said, uh, oh, I don't think God would want me. You don't know how I've lived. I said, I promise you, Joseph, he wants you. That's why I'm here today. And then I felt like the Lord was saying, ask him to pray to receive me. And I was like, I did a bunch already. <laughs> and I, you know, I'd get into where I couldn't breathe well. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, here we go. And, and Karen's right there and, I think she's just praying at that moment, right? She's got her eyes open, but she's just praying. And and we're, we're in this thing together. And I go, Joseph, he'll take you. He loves you. He wants to come in your heart today. And it seemed like he knew something about it from his youth, though we didn't get into it. He said, do you think he really would? I said, I think he would. I said, Joseph, why don't you pray with me right now to receive Jesus in your heart? I know this is crazy, but it actually happened. And he looked around and he said, well, Let's go behind the statue before we do. So we walked around the three of us behind the King Kamea Kamea statue <laughs> in the rotunda. And we prayed a prayer. And he repeated, repeated a prayer of salvation. And then we're almost done. And I feel like the Lord speaks to my heart again and says, Pray that he will be healed. It's like, man, I just I, I'm this is a lot, you know. But, you know, I had the fear, but I just pressed through it. And I said, Joseph, is it okay with you if I pray that you'll be healed? He said, okay. So it wasn't big fanfare. Karen and I put our hands on this guy behind King Kamea, Kamea, statue. And we started praying a prayer, Lord, would you heal Joseph? You love him. You're powerful. You're compassionate. I can't tell you everybody I pray for gets healed, but I can tell you I believe in a God who heals, so I pray. When we were done, my friend Mark pastors in that city and so I said, hey Joseph, let me give you some information and I wrote down Mark's address, Karen helped me and I gave it to him and I said, go to that church. Go to that church. He said, well, I'll think about it. So we left and the next week I called Mark in D.C. I'm back home now and I said, hey Mark, was Joseph, did a guy named Joseph show up? Mark's church is huge now, it wasn't so big then. I said, I don't know. I don't think so. I checked back a few weeks later and Joseph hadn't shown up. I thought, bummer. You know, I didn't, didn't follow through. Didn't, didn't didn't get him all the way. So a year later, I'm back to see Mark again. And somehow after our conversation, being there for an hour or so together, I say, man, I, I was so disappointed that, that you know, there was a tour guide. I prayed for him and he, he never came. And I, I, I was sure that was just a sincere conversion. He goes, wait a minute. Was his name Joseph? said, yeah, he said, he came about six months later and he told me he met this crazy guy at the Capitol. (laughs) He told me he prayed a prayer. Now, this is the part that's going to be hard for you to believe, but I'm just telling you, this is the story. He said that he didn't come for a while, but he went back to the doctor a few weeks later and the doctors were shocked because the hepatitis B was gone. It wasn't in his body anymore. Now, why would God do miracles? Maybe he knows that the seed would be lost and Joseph wouldn't show up and believe that he's real. But after Joseph found out that that was gone out of his body, you can say it's coincidence. I don't know. It's hard for me to believe it. But I prayed and believed for it. God touched him. He showed up at church. And he knows that God is real. So how do you reach the homosexual? How do you reach the person who's a prostitute, a drug runner, who has money, has life, that they seem to be liking right now? How do you convince them of the difference between Muhammad and Jesus, Buddha and Jehovah? I'm going to tell you something, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't just need words. God can bless those words and give power. But we need the demonstration of the things of the Spirit to reach this generation. And there needs to be a comeback of these things.